This is Gary Leland, host of the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Here's Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, also known as the Bitcoin Boomer. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, I really find Bitcoin to be one of the most interesting topics I have learned about in my entire life. I really do. Bitcoin is amazing. It's a world-changing, future-changing item. And so I have become completely mesmerized with it, and that's almost all I am involved with anymore is Bitcoin, whether it's hosting conferences, going to conferences, hosting podcasts, or doing video shows like the show you're watching or listening to now. Now, the purpose of this show is to bring on guests that are going to help educate you about Bitcoin. My goal is just to teach you about Bitcoin. Believe me, I have no Bitcoin to sell you. I'm not selling you any of mine. If you decide to get some, you're going to have to get your own. But we'll bring on guests from, that have been involved with Bitcoin since the beginning of Bitcoin. So a lot of information here. You may be a boomer, and as we know, boomers do control the majority of wealth in the United States. Um, we came up in a great time in society. Our parents were the, uh, came back from World War II and started having us, and uh, they had a lot of benefits that the generations before and the generations after have not had. But since we control most of the wealth in the United States, we need to learn about Bitcoin. I'm not gonna be asking you to invest any money in Bitcoin, I just want you to have the information. Maybe you're not a boomer. Maybe you're just someone who doesn't know much about Bitcoin. Maybe you're a Gen X. Maybe you're a Zoomer. I don't know what you are, but I do know that if you watch this show and you stick with us, when the season's over, you will know a lot about Bitcoin from some of the top experts in the field of Bitcoin. Now, today's show, we're gonna have on Lamar Wilson. Lamar has a great story to tell you. He's one of the co-authors of the book I wrote about Bitcoin called Bitcoin and the American Dream. And he has a ton of information to give you, an early Bitcoiner. I don't know when he got involved, but I bet it was within a year or two after Bitcoin being created. And we'll find out the answer to that, the exact date, and so much more. So please stick with us and return to the show after these words from our sponsor. And I promise you, you will learn information that you won't get anywhere else. Stick with us. I'm Gary Leland, and this is The Bitcoin Boomer Show. Okay, guys, this is Gary Leland, The Bitcoin Boomer, and you need to come here if you want to find out what Bitcoin is, if you want to just meet some great people and have a great time, come to Bitblock Boom. But there's one thing, you have to be a Bitcoiner. We don't allow shitcoiners. Last week in August, every year, moving to Austin for 2022. Yeah, I love coming to Bitblock Boom because it's like it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like everybody here is like part of the hardcore like inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where like you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. If you come to Bitblock Boom once, you're gonna come every year. Speakers are great. The networking is great because you know that's really what it's about when you're. Uh, a Bitcoiner, especially when you're a new Bitcoiner, is you want to network with as many Bitcoiners as you can and learn because there's so much information, not only about Bitcoin, but about money in general. Hey, so I'm down here at Bitblock Boom and what energy, what a lot of fun. It's all Bitcoiners. 
and uh, just good people. That's the one thing that, that all my interactions that I've had with people, you can tell you're just dealing with a culture of people that just want to make the world a better place. So if you want to come to a Bitcoiner conference, not a crypto conference or a shitcoiner conference, if you want to come to a Bitcoin conference, you would come to Bitblock Boom. But like I said, don't even mess with it. Don't even think about it. Don't even attempt to buy a ticket if you're a shitcoiner because your money's going to come back and you'll just make us both work. But if you're a Bitcoiner, you need to sign up and come to Austin now. Come to Bitblock Boom. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, AKA the Bitcoin Boomer. And thank you for joining us again for another great episode I host. I hope I have a great guest today, but before I introduce our guest, I do wanna make sure you know about the conference I run in Austin, Texas called BitBlock Boom. Go to bitblockboom.com and check out our conference today. It's a Bitcoin only conference, one of the top conferences on the planet I know I know you will enjoy it, so take a look at bitblockboom.com. Now, our, ho our guest today is Lamar Wilson. Lamar, thanks for joining us. Hey, Gary, what's going on, Rumi? Hey, Rumi is right. Uh, Lamar and I were roommates for, well, our guest last week, Jimmy Song, said it was four days, but I think it's closer to five days. But yeah, we, we got to know each other real well being roommates. Oh, man, for sure, man. It was one of the best weeks of my life. And we do the Bitcoin Rumi show uh, every Thursday on Twitter Spaces. So if you want to keep up with us, join the Bitcoin Roomies. And you can see, we, we talk <laughs> about anything, though. We just talk about what's on our mind. But before we go any further, Lamar, please give everybody a short bio on who yeah. Lamar is. <laughs> yeah, my name is Lamar Wilson. I am a software developer by trade. Uh, I have a finance degree from the University of Kentucky. I've been in Bitcoin for a pretty long time. Um, I got in about my first coin around 2012, 13, but I learned about it in 2011. The only reason why I know that is because of the picture that was taken the same day that I learned about Bitcoin. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I've been I've been in the space and what I've been doing is educating people. Um, as of late, uh, I started a club on Clubhouse called the Black Bitcoin Billionaire Club. It's about 149,000 people over 149,000 people. And it's, we've only been around for about a year and, and a few months and it's grown extremely rapidly. So I just spend a lot of my time trying to educate people on Bitcoin and how Bitcoin works and how it can help them uh, get lead to a more sovereign life. And on Clubhouse, if you're not familiar with Clubhouse, that's a uh, social chat room, I guess I would say, on your iPhone or, or I guess it's on Android now, Lamar. Yeah, yeah, Android, iPhone. It's a social audio app um, that was, I think it was launched two years ago or something like that, so. And I do yeah. want to make sure everybody knows Black Bitcoin Billionaire chat room is not just for Black Bitcoin billionaires. It's not just for Blacks and it's not just for billionaires. <laughs> I mean, right. it's not even just for Bitcoiners. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I remember I was talking to Gary and Gary was, he felt a little bit weird. Like, am I allowed to come in there? And I'm like, yeah. I was like, you won't, you won't be able to get in the club, not because you're not black, it's because you're not a billionaire, Gary. And uh, he <laughs> laughed about it. Because a lot of people, 
they see the black on the front and they always say, Lamar, is it okay? And I'm like, don't worry about it. You're not about, it's not about you being black. The question is, are you a billionaire? And then they realize what I'm saying. But yeah, anybody's welcome. Gary has been in there several times on stage, added a lot of value. And uh, we welcome everybody. I mean, everybody's welcome. It's just run by black people. That's all it is. And if you have a problem with that, that's on you. Yeah, that is on you. Um, the last thing I want to go over in your bio that the, you didn't mention, which I think is pretty important. You created one of the first wallets, which uh, is storage devices, I guess we could say, for <laughs> Bitcoin uh, that existed. I mean, except for the one that came with Bitcoin Core. Uh, tell us about that real quick. So it was called the FIVA wallet, um, and we built that. Uh, it was an Android, iOS, and Chrome extension um, at the time. And at, what happened was the reason why we kind of got a name for ourselves is because the time we launched our iOS version of it, you couldn't get an iOS wallet on the Apple App Store. And so we were the only way in the world for anybody who had an iPhone or an iOS device to get an actual Bitcoin wallet. And so we kind of got a little cult following from that. Like people no noticed us and recognized us for the fact that they could use our wallet, even though Apple had banned all Bitcoin wallets on their store. Well, and, and that's what happens. Apple bans a lot of things and people figure out ways to reroute it and make it work. Now, right. now you said you found out about Bitcoin in 2011. Yeah. How did you find out about Bitcoin? What was the, how did that happen? So my origin story is I'm a software developer. We had built a game platform that was kind of like Chuck E. Cheese online. So like you could play games, you buy, you buy these coins, you play the games and then we give you tickets and you could get you could get items from Amazon. Um, and so we went to go pitch this to VCs to try to get some funding for it. Uh, one of the VCs said, hey, I see you guys have a virtual currency in your game. Um, have you ever heard, Have you ever heard of Bitcoin? And I thought he said Bitcoin. I was like, <laughs> I don't heard of Bitcoin. So we leave out of the meeting and I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this thing. And my uh, business partner, my co-founder, Leif, he looked at his phone and was like, it says uh, I think he's talking about Bitcoin. So I looked at it and we didn't really read the site. It was, it was outside. It was like, all right, okay. Well, anyway, fast forward, um, you know, maybe a year or so, the price jumped up. And I remember being in the headlines and it was saying like, uh, Bitcoin reaches all time high. And I was like, oh, there goes that Bitcoin thing again. And what happened um, from that, I was like, okay, let me go look at this thing. So I went and found the white paper. And I realized there was no greater marriage of the two disciplines that I, you know, I'm professionally in in my life, software development and finance. There's no greater marriage of those two disciplines than Bitcoin. And that started my journey. And plus, when I looked at it, I'm a big freedom maximalist. I love freedom. I'm always about freedom, how to become more sovereign, more independent. And Bitcoin, that's all I saw in that white paper was pure freedom, man. Like pure, unadulterated freedom. So going on that pretense, one of the questions I ask everyone who comes on the show, because I want to hear everyone's uh, definition, because everybody has a little bit different definition. So tell me, what is Bitcoin? So Bitcoin to me is freedom. It's freedom money. It's the Internet of money. But Bitcoin is um, this distributed system, decentralized distributed system that allows you to have control over your money. It allows you to have censorship resistant um, quality hard money. Um, and that to me is extremely important. Uh, the freedom part is probably the most important part of all of it. Uh, it just, it, it, it just checks all the boxes from a value perspective uh, for me. 
Well, and, and I, I think that's a really good point. It is freedom money. I, I want to ask you another question, though, for my producer, Russell, that's mm -hmm. here. Now, Russell told me that he was thinking uh, it was too late to get into Bitcoin because he couldn't get in at a nickel or a dollar anymore. He has to get in at $40,000. And I can see that. But I think the people who got in at $1,000 thought they were late when they got in. How do you answer that in two minutes or less? Yeah, really quickly. It's not too late. And the reason why it's not too late is only about 2% of the world is into Bitcoin right now. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. So you're definitely not too late if only 2% of the world knows about this transformative thing, right? Um, you, you have all the time in the world. And the other part of it is if you're focusing on price, you're missing the value. Price and value are two different things. If you're focusing on that you didn't get in at a nickel or that you didn't get at a dollar, here's the thing. A lot of people marry their uh, spouses when they turn 30 or something like that. But just because you didn't meet her when she was 16, does that mean she's not a great woman at 30? <laughs> exactly. Right. So you're not too late when you find something good. You hold on to it. You hug it. You squeeze it. And you make sure that you keep her for life. You understand what I'm saying, producer? I think he's shaking his head over there. So you hug it <laughs> and you hodl it is what I like and to you say. You, you hold it forever. You hold it. <laughs> you know, Bitcoin really is more than, a lot of people are just thinking of it as money or digital gold, but it's really an internet protocol. It's the only protocol that was missing, I think. We have protocols for video, protocols for audio, protocols for photos. We have all these protocols but we didn't have one for money. We've only got a minute here, but isn't that truly what it is, a protocol? Yeah, man, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's the internet of money. That was the very first like video I ever made was talking about this is the internet of money, and if you had an opportunity to invest in the internet, would you have done it in 1996? And I feel like we're still in that early 1996 phase. And you're not talking about really investing in a website. You're talking about investing in the internet. The internet, right, in, into the protocol. There was not a dollar value associated with the internet protocol like TCP, TCP IP, but there is a dollar value that you can take your dollars and trade it to be able to participate financially in this internet of money network. And so the question is, if you had a chance to do it in the internet, like why would you not do it in the internet of money? And the thing is, because there's 21 million, there are over 21 million millionaires. So even all the millionaires could not own one and I know they can't own one because they aren't getting any of mine. Or <laughs> 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 yours, probably, Lamar. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so, no not so, at all. so when all the millionaires and billionaires start wanting it, well, there's just not going to be enough for them all to own one. Now, we'll be okay, right, I, we'll be yeah, right back. Lamar, we got a hard break here. We'll be right back <laughs> after this word from our sponsor, and uh, we'll let Lamar get that in. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm Gary Leland, your host, and today we're joined by my friend and former roommate, Lamar Wilson. Lamar, now you were telling me we had a problem, something with your, uh, why the billionaires weren't gonna get your Bitcoin? Yeah, the millionaires can't get mine because I did a cartwheel in my front yard and all of them fell out and then the, <laughs> you know, the lawnmower went over, so. Sorry, millionaires, you can't get those. Nobody can get those. Well, you know, I don't that's have anymore. almost the same story I have because I threw my computer away 
And they were all in the computer, and I just threw uh, it away. So, I mean, we're, we love Bitcoin so much, we got to talk about it. So. We just got to talk yeah. about it because it's better than crying about it, right, Lamar? Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, let me ask you: Why do people need Bitcoin? I mean, you know, they got PayPal, they have bank accounts, they have credit cards, they have Zelle. Why do they need PayPal? I mean, uh, Bitcoin. No, I don't know if they need PayPal. But yeah, yeah the, sure <laughs> the reason why they need pay, uh, Bitcoin is because things like PayPal, bank accounts, all of those things, number one, can all be cut off. They can all, somebody can tell you that you can no longer make transactions. Matter of fact, one of my PayPal accounts got turned off, right? Um, and it wasn't for anything. I'm, I was selling something legal, but it was something that they didn't like at the time, like CBD. And, it, and my account got turned off. With Bitcoin, there's nobody there to turn your account off. Like you can still send Bitcoin to whoever you want and no one can stop you from doing that as long as you have access to an internet connection. Even if you don't, you can call someone who has access to an internet connection and send a transaction. Um, another reason why you need Bitcoin is because it provides a place to actually store your time and your work and your hard work and the efforts that you put in Bitcoin provides a, a place for you to take some of your wealth and store it into an asset that is not manipulated or cannot even be manipulated by humans. And that provides a certain amount of, um, what's the word, uh, a certain amount of uh, solidness. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. I can't think of the word <laughs> right now. I'm missing the word, but it provides you some protections and a certain amount of security because you're not worrying about somebody else, right? You're not worrying about these uh, people being able to manipulate your monetary supply. So uh, I'm just going to go into an example here, which we don't see on the news much anymore, but we were seeing on the news a lot, and that is the Canadian truck drivers. Uh, mm. They were up there, their trucks were being seized, their bank accounts were being closed. But people from all around the world were sending Bitcoin to Bitcoin addresses for the truck drivers. Then the state of Canada demanded that uh, they were given those Bitcoin by the exchanges, but that didn't happen. Yeah, I, that, that is a powerful case, right? Like how do you have pure democracy and yet you turn people's ability to protest off or their ability to have funds and, and now they're doing is a peaceful protest. Um, Bitcoin allows you to get around, like it fixes that. It still allows you to get some type of income. And it, at the end of the day, they could have also been trading that and trading value for food and other things without having to worry about the government cutting them off. And I think that's what I was going back to and what I said just before was it can't be turned off. And that is extremely powerful because it shows you that Bitcoin is something that empowers people. And these fiat currencies are things that are in power over you. And so those people that are in power can cut you off from fiat. But when you are empowered through Bitcoin by you owning your own keys and having your own coin, it, it basically empowers you to be able to do what you want to do with your money and how you want to do it. So let's go a little bit more current and go to the Ukraine. Ukraine is being attacked by Russia right now. Um, I don't mm -hmm. think there's any other word for it. Being looks like destroyed from Russia, what I see on TV. But I see millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin being sent to Ukraine, people in Ukraine. Um, what, do you, what can we go over that a little bit? Tell me your thoughts on that. Which I know yeah, your I thoughts are that it's good they have money to defend themselves, but a little deeper right. into that. 
No, I think it's I think it's very powerful because even from a Russia perspective, I don't care what side you're on, Ukraine or Russia, with whoever you like, Bitcoin actually benefits both, right? Because for the Ukrainian people, um, they are being sent Bitcoin so that they can buy weapons to defend themselves. If you're looking at Russia, Russia has uh, been attacked by the weaponization of the financial system. So those sanctions that allow them to cut off Russia from the rest of the world, Russia can use Bitcoin to actually continue to do what they want to do as a sovereign nation. So Bitcoin being a tool, being apolitical, it's not like on either side of the aisle, um, being that tool is actually powerful for both entities. Um, and it just shows you the power that it gives to anybody that actually has it. And I think it's, it's, that's a something moving forward. I think many people are waking up to it, right? I think many people are starting to see how Bitcoin is outside of our traditional system that can be weaponized against the people. So if you know our government today, I guess, would be happy if Bitcoin was being used by the Ukrainians for protection, but I don't think they would be happy if they found out Bitcoin was being used by Russians to stay afloat. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, but again, it's a tool, right? It's um, it really is. It's it's something that can be used. What did somebody tell me? They said Lamar Bitcoin is the money of enemies, and that's what it is. It it, it breaks down to the fact that because of its nature and how it is being used, it's just like the internet. I guarantee the United States government may not want Russia to use the internet to communicate things to its allies, but why? Why would you stop the internet if it also helps the United States communicate messages to its allies? The same thing with Bitcoin. It's just a tool. Like we need to stop making it a bipartisan or shall I really say a partisan issue. And I think that's what a lot of people who have a lot of FUD for it are trying to do. Well, I think that's the point I was trying to get out is that Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin doesn't care if you're black. Bitcoin doesn't care if you're white. Bitcoin doesn't care if you're Ukrainian. Bitcoin doesn't care if you're Russian. It doesn't care if you're from America. It doesn't care if you're young. It doesn't care if you're old. It's just there, just like the internet is there. And the, the internet's not going to be shut down, and Bitcoin is not going to be shut down either. Right. No, that's, that's exactly right. I think people have to understand the anti-fragility of Bitcoin. Um, the fact that Bitcoin is a decentralized network allows it to be anti-fragile against these types of against attacks. So the network itself, the reason why all of these different people can utilize it in a way, however, whatever way they decide, is that there is an underlying architecture that is anti-fragile that doesn't allow you to cut off one of them. Like you can cut off one of the nodes that is running Bitcoin and another will probably pop up in its place. So you can't kill Bitcoin. It's like a hydra. So you cut off a head, another head pops up. That's the, that's what Bitcoin is from a decentralized standpoint. And that provides, and the word I was looking for earlier, it provides a certain amount of certainty to a world full of chaos. So, so we've covered that now as far as Bitcoin being, it's out on the loose, it's on the internet, it's in the world, it's not going anywhere. Question a lot of people ask me when I see them in person, especially people my age is, where do I get some of this Bitcoin? Where, where do I go to get it? Um, with, with only a minute and a half left, can you uh, give them a, tell them, not, I'm not yeah. asking you to recommend any specific place, but how right. do they buy Bitcoin? Yeah, they, they need to find an exchange or a broker 
um, for Bitcoin, or they can also just ask Gary, or they can ask Lamar, or they can, it's peer-to-peer. I think we miss out on the power of peer-to-peer transactions. My first Bitcoin were bought at, I don't remember if it was McDonald's or Starbucks, but it was one of those. That was the first place I got Bitcoin. Peer-to-peer Bitcoin is actually extremely empowering. So like you can ask around and buy Bitcoin from other people, or you can go to exchanges where you have to KYC into them. Right. Where can know your customer and like put all your information into them. And, and a lot of people seem to have a problem when they're filling out, uh, for instance, on your app. If you go to buy Bitcoin from a Bitcoin exchange, you got to give them and cover your license and information. But it's the same thing you do when you open a bank account. And no one seems to question that. Right. Nobody questions it at all. And that's what I'm saying. If you want to do it, you use the exchange. If you don't want to do it, you find somebody that has some Bitcoin again. Bitcoin is just the technology. It's, it, it does, it's not after you. It's not trying to come and get you. So it, however you want to get it, um, there's many different ways. And I'm not going to say any, like I said, I'm not going to say any exchanges on here, like Gary said, um, because I don't know if they're going, if they paying Gary's bills or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, well, Lamar, we do know that since you lost your Bitcoin doing cartwheels in the front yard and I right. threw my computer away, you and I don't have any Bitcoin to sell them. So they right. have to find someone else to get it from. Go besides, talk to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> besides you and I. Now we'll be right, right back with more with Lamar right after this word from our sponsor. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Today, we're joined by Lamar Wilson, my roommate and old friend Lamar Wilson. Well, not really old friend Lamar, but good friend, I guess. She seems like an old friend because we've become good friends. Yes. Hey, Lamar, I want to go over a subject that we covered or I learned about when we were roommates, and that is generational wealth that Bitcoin can create. But also, uh, I want to go a little deeper than that and going to how the black community has been, I'm gonna loosely say the word hampered uh, from being able to create generational wealth. And I know it's more than just being hampered, but I wanna talk about both of those subjects real quick. Um, So first of all, I'll let you take the lead on this, however you wanna handle it. No, yeah, and that that was part of like the great experience of rooming with you, Gary, is that you and I had some great talks. Um, But what I was always explaining is, is that in the United States of America, a lot of people don't understand that uh, African-Americans post-Reconstruction, after slavery, um, were actually starting to do really, really well. Uh, They were creating their own cities. They were creating businesses. They were building amazing townships all across the country. And many people don't understand that. Think about it. You have these people that come out of slavery of having nothing and are beginning to amass a certain amount of wealth in this country. Um, And what happened in this country is that uh, all across the country, 1919, they call it the Red Summer. Um, And then, of course, 1921, which is probably one of the most uh, famous uh, uh, um, massacres, which was the Tulsa real estate, I mean, the Tulsa massacre in Greenwood. Uh, what happened was, is that these wonderful, amazing cities and townships were burned down and people were attacked because of the wealth that they had. And even now to this day in Tulsa, which is the hundred year anniversary was last year I was in Tulsa. Um, they still haven't been paid like those descendants still haven't even been paid the insurance they were owed. 
right, from the buildings being burned down. These insurance companies still haven't paid on their claims. It's like two and a half million dollars worth of claims in 1921. Think about even how much that's worth today compared to 1921 dollars and how much of that wealth could have been passed down to those generations of black people. Um, when you look at it, if you could come, you move forward into the Jim Crow era, you talk about redlining and the fact that people in certain communities getting get couldn't get loans. And then if they could get loans, the loans were at higher rates. And then the other part of that is, is that because they were in these certain communities, the appraisals for the property in those communities were so low. So then it kept a lot and, and kept a lot of the wealth out of those communities as well, which meant, again, you couldn't pass it down. Certain life insurance policies were not, you were not able to get life insurance if you're African-American in this country. So all of these ways that people have been able to not only amass wealth, but to pass wealth, they were not available to African-Americans. And there's a, there was a huge gap. And a lot of this had to do with access. The fact that you didn't have access to get the loans, the fact that you didn't have access to go and get stocks, the fact that you could not participate in the American economy like everyone else actually hindered and hampered, like uh, uh, Gary was saying, the African-American uh, populace's ability to be able to pass down generational wealth. But when it comes to Bitcoin, access is the probably the biggest and most key thing. The fact that from the moment Bitcoin became available, everybody in the world had access to it. There were no gatekeepers, so to speak, right? Um, you could you could spawn your own node up and start mining the Bitcoin yourself, no matter where you were in the, in the globe. And now we understand that mining has become a little bit more big business. But I'm telling you, anywhere in the globe, you can get Bitcoin. Like I was saying, peer to peer, you can go to exchanges. You can find a way to gain access to Bitcoin all the way around the globe. And I think that is the difference. And so that wealth, especially with the ability to hold your keys and you be in control of it and be completely sovereign in, in the ownership of that asset that allows you to then pass that wealth down for generations and generations and generations. And that's something that we have not really been able to see, especially in this country as African-Americans. And so Bitcoin presents a, a, a ray of freedom, a ray of hope and a ray of independence outside of our financial system that literally there were laws set up to keep us out of it. Well, you know, last week's guest was Jimmy Song, one of our roomies, I guess we could say. And he made a statement that I did not know. And I'm going to run this by you uh, mm -hmm. for confirmation. Uh, I'm sure if Jimmy said it's true, so I have no doubt. But he told me that more black people own Bitcoin than white people. Do you, is, that, is that true from what you understand? What? Yeah, what's so crazy, uh, Gary, is that many people don't understand that Black people over-index in a lot of technology. Like, from a social media standpoint, Black people over-index. There are more people using, like, the social media, uh, you know, just like even if you look at, like, uh, Clubhouse, how Clubhouse became, it was such a Black app at the, at the very beginning. Black people over-index in a lot of technologies. And, of course, they're going to over-index into like this digital currency space, right? And so, yeah, there are more black people as a percentage that own Bitcoin because again, you gotta remember in many of our communities, um, a lot of the information, a lot of the access to a lot of these other assets have been kept from us, you know, from credit scores and redlining and these other things. And so this is something, again, that anybody in the world can uh, gain access to. And so black people have adopted it at a rapid pace.
Um, it's just like in Africa, like if you think about Africa, there's a huge amount of cell phone adoption in Africa because they didn't really have the landline. So they adopted cell phones way faster than a lot of people. Same way in the, in the United States, black people are adopting Bitcoin a lot faster because they actually that's that's one of the only ways they can gain access to certain assets. Well, another point Jimmy made to me, which, again, I didn't know, but, you know, I'm only 67, so I haven't quit learning something every day. Uh, he told me that the amount of average wealth passed down in a white family is $120,000 compared to an average wealth of $20,000 $20, for a black family. Yes, but, but think it makes sense. Compound interest is known. What did uh, Warren Buffett say? It's like the ninth wonder of the world or something, the eighth wonder of the world. Um, compound interest matters a lot. I, we just told you of the history of how families were robbed of being able to compound their interest to get us to this point. So it makes sense that there's not as much wealth in the black community because many of those years before are not when they weren't able to compound. Like grandma's house in the black community might only profit you maybe forty thousand when you sell it, where grandma's house in a white community maybe profits you three hundred thousand dollars. That in an in and of itself, where a lot of our wealth is trapped and held was was literally a government function before that kept people from actually building that type of wealth in their community. So that that in and of itself is just pure numbers. And so Bitcoin provides you an opportunity at the same time, like with your counterparts, both both sides can actually, you know, like white, black, uh, Asian, um, Native American. It doesn't matter. They can all come and buy Bitcoin at the same price right now. Right. Relatively speaking, the same price, but they can all buy Bitcoin at the same price right now. Well, that's, that's as I said earlier, Bitcoin doesn't care if you're black. It doesn't care if you're white. It doesn't care if you're Native American. It doesn't care if you're from America. Bitcoin is just there. Do you see Bitcoin as being one of the things that can cause equity and help uh, change this pattern of uh, wealth, generational wealth in America? Yeah, for sure. But I think there's a sense of urgency that I have because the trading of Bitcoin is still for fiat currency. And in our society, a lot of the wealth is in the hands of, let's just be real, in the hands of white males, right? And because of how the system worked before. And again, compound interest is a heck of a thing. And so what happens is if we don't have a sense of urgency, if we're not intentional about trying to get this message to communities that may be marginalized, what will happen is as the rest of the world begins to wake up to it, a lot of the Bitcoin is going to move towards the top again, and we'll still have systems that are still split, right? So that's why I'm trying my hardest to just help as many people, not just black people, but people who don't have a whole lot that are marginalized, the poor people of the world, um, like it don't matter what color you are, or whatever. I'm trying to get them to understand this is an opportunity to start closing that gap because there will only ever be 21 million. And if you can get out there and grab you some beforehand, it's like owning Manhattan back in the 1700s. If you can go out there and grab some of this, it can change the trajectory of your entire family for the rest of your family's history. That's your legacy is that you were able to get and hold this um, crazy, amazing asset very early on. Well, and that's a very true point. It's a generational wealth saving product. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute.
and welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host. I'm joined today by my friend, Lamar Wilson. Lamar, we've been talking about Bitcoin and how it affects creation of generational wealth, but let's go into another matter that helps with the unbanked. Right now in America, the amount of people who cannot even open a banking account, don't have a banking account, and like I said, can't even open a banking account, is incredible. How does this help those people and the people who don't have enough money to go down to, this is a two-part question, but this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the people who can't go down to like Fidelity or Ameriprise and open up a retirement account. How does Bitcoin affect this giant portion of the country? Well, like you just said, the fact that they don't have to go to any other entity, they can literally open up their phone, which most people, even poor people in this country have phones, and create a wallet that then they can go and as they get cash, they don't even have to have a bank account, as they get cash, they can trade that cash for Bitcoin that they can then store in their wallet. That is um, extremely powerful for those people because if they are not able to get a bank account, it's very difficult to hold your hold your funds. And then if you can't get a bank account, a lot of times you can't invest. So a lot, even a lot of these platforms are allowing people to do micro shares of stocks and all this other stuff. If you don't have a bank account, you can't even you don't even get access to that. So if you if you are somebody who is unbanked, Bitcoin provides you an opportunity outside of the system to be able to go grab an asset and hold on to it. And I don't think, you know, many of us are spoiled in this country. And I don't think many of us understand how powerful that is to at least have some way out. Right. Like a lot of people in this country and all around the globe don't have a way out um, when it comes to being in the position they are financially from a financial services position. So Bitcoin actually empowers people to go do that themselves. And all it takes is education to get them get them off of it. So Bitcoin's not just for rich people that want to get richer. Bitcoin helps just as much people who have little assets, no way of saving their assets, and no way of creating a retirement or any wealth. They can buy $5, $10, $2 worth of Bitcoin a week whatever their pocket can afford and save that and start their own retirement program. And with where we're at in the right world right now, I doubt we're going to see as fast a growth from five cents to $40,000 as we did in the last 10 years, but we're going to see giant growth still. So they have a chance to build some type of retirement with, even with the small amount of income they have and not be reliant completely on the U S government for their social security or whatever pittance that we get from them. Right, I think that's a, a, a very good point, Gary, is that there might not be the return, but for many people, there was no return. Like there was, not, there was nothing for them to put their money into. And I think um, the fact that we have Bitcoin here now, it allows those people to at least have hope. And hope does, amazing thing right like hope hope allows you to start thinking about the future and what i mean by that is that bitcoin changes a lot of people's spending habits because once you start understanding what bitcoin is and understand there only ever be 21 million you start to become more of a saver which then lets you see Bitcoin as a savings technology to begin starting to budget. And you start looking at the things that you're buying. And I know they make the meme and the joke about selling your chairs. And they're like, chairs are not that important, 
right? I'd rather have Bitcoin than my own shares. But that's real because what happens is you start realizing the value that you are being able to save by not buying that share and putting it into something like Bitcoin early on actually is going to be worth more for you and your family moving forward into the future. Well, Lamar, now I want to go into something pretty important. Lamar and I were roommates because we were writing this book together with six other people called Bitcoin and the American Dream. And it was a great experience. And most of the conversation we've had today came from that book, our rooming with Lamar during that book. Um, just information I learned, which I felt was very important. Um, we only have a little bit of time left, but what do you think of what we've done with this book and how will this book be used? Man, I think it's, it's a great book for politi uh, politicians, policymakers, um, across not even just America, but across the globe. Because I think a lot of politicians, they look at this as such a uh, partisan type of, you know, like it's either left or it's right. And the truth is this book actually brings all of that together. And if you are on the right, you'll find some things in the book that 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 we highlight that help you to see Bitcoin in a light in a better light. And uh, if you're on the left side, we do the same thing, right? We we bring you to this middle that is Bitcoin. And to be honest, um, the for me, the American dream is us making sure we have policymakers that are actually working for all the people. And I don't mean left or right. I mean finally coming together, getting rid of some of the differences, and finding a a common goal that is to make the American the American society and the American people a better people moving forward. And I think Bitcoin is one of those tools that can allow for that once you open up people's eyes to see how it benefits both sides and, and how coming together on Bitcoin actually brings the country together on many things. Um, and that's what the book does, man. I think it's well written. Um, it gets right to the point. It, it gets right to it. And I think it's, it's a great leave behind for every policymaker, politician in every uh, branch of the government and also every level from local all the way to, to national federal level. And for those who aren't aware, Lamar and I, plus six other people, met for five days and wrote this book. And it was a, quite an experience, which I don't think I want to do again anytime soon, even though, <laughs> even though I did enjoy it completely. Five days right. living in a duplex <laughs> with a bunch of strangers is an experience. It makes good friends. You spend so much time together. But right. uh, Lamar, before we go, uh, where can people follow you real quick or find out or give us a scoop on the clubhouse? And Yeah. I am at Big Mar everywhere, at B-I-G-M-A-R-H, everywhere, like uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, what's it called, Telegram, even on Facebook, B-I-G-M-A-R-H. Um, and then the clubhouse is Black Bitcoin Billionaires. And then um, to really stay in touch with us, go to BlackBitcoinBillionaire.com, BlackBitcoinBillionaire.com. Dot com and you go to the you go to that website you subscribe and you'll get all of our updates um one of the greatest uh, posts that we've had on there actually was written a few days ago and it was a letter um in response to the new york government talking about banning mining and everybody should go read it because it really talks about why mining can actually benefit the state of new york and it was a great letter written by ian Gaines. so that's one of the articles on blackbitcoinbillionaire.com so go check us out well we know from writing the book we had a chapter about jobs and bitcoin is that what the newsletter covers partially yeah it, it talks about jobs um 
You should check it out. It's a it's a it's an actual letter in opposition of the bill that was written to stop mining in New York. Um, it, it talks about jobs. It talks about equality. Um, it talks about a lot of things in there that actually uh, hopefully the people in New York will check it out. Hopefully the, the message gets spread uh, broadly because it's extremely important. Well, I hope the letter is helpful because I think that's the worst thing anyone can do for their city, state, or country is to stop mining Bitcoin. We saw what happened to China when they shut down Bitcoin. What happened? Did Bitcoin disappear? <laughs> no, it all moved to the United States just about. And now Texas controls a major part of that. Right. And that's what I think. The citizens, the citizens can benefit greatly because you got to remember Bitcoin jobs are high paying jobs. For politicians, that's what they're looking for. So why would you ban an industry that's going to bring high paying jobs to your to your uh, constituents? I think yeah, that it just it all ties in. So I think, um, yeah, just check it out. BlackBitcoinBillionaire.com is a great article. Do you great think read. the bill had anything to do with the false assumption that Bitcoin is destroying the world with the energy uses? Yes, let, let's please strike this down right now. If people actually cared about energy usage, they would stop using air conditioning. <laughs> Jimmy more said energy. they're dryers. Jimmy was saying yeah. more energy is used on air conditioning in the in the United States alone than on Bitcoin globally. So in one country alone, we use more energy on air conditioning than we do around the globe for Bitcoin. Think about that. It's crazy. And my whole thing is, is that we've lived in this world before air conditioning. Well, Lamar, so you don't necessarily need it. Yeah. I just want to say we're getting ready to hit a hard break. I do want to thank you for coming on the show. I do want to thank you for taking the time to explain. I do want to thank you for being my friend. I look yes, forward sir. to seeing you at soon at the Black Billionaire, Bitcoin Billionaire's party. Thanks. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, which I've said many times if you've watched the entire show. I do want to thank you for joining us on another episode. And please tell your friends about our show. We're trying to educate people. That's all. I hope you uh, enjoyed some of the points Lamar, our host guest, made today about how Bitcoin causes generational wealth. And for many people in society, it's the first time they've had that opportunity to have generational wealth. As I always say, Bitcoin, and I've said several times today, Bitcoin doesn't care if you're black, if you're white, if you're American, if you're not American, if you're male, if you're female. Bitcoin just doesn't care because it's an internet protocol. We found out today that more higher percentage of black people own Bitcoin than white people, which is amazing. We found out how Bitcoin can help the unbanked, which is definitely necessary. Um, so many things that Bitcoin is great for. I do want to make sure you remember to check out bitblockboom.com. That's my conference. That's in Austin, Texas, and this is our fifth year for bitblockboom.com. Be sure, and if you live in Dallas or in Texas or anywhere around Texas, you check out Bitblock Barbecue. That's our once a month Bitcoin meetup. These events are great events because they're opportunities to talk with people about Bitcoin in a networking fun atmosphere. So I do like to bring them up. And please share this show with your friends. Tell your parents, tell your children, whoever you think may have an interest in Bitcoin. Because that's all I'm trying to do is educate you about Bitcoin. As I said earlier, 
I'm not selling you any Bitcoin. I don't have any Bitcoin I want to sell you. I just want to make sure you know about Bitcoin. And maybe by beginning educated and learning a little bit about Bitcoin, you may decide that you need to get a little bit of Bitcoin. You may not decide you want to get a little bit, but at least you have the information that you need to make a logical decision about Bitcoin. Now, I uh, don't know what else to tell you, except that it's so important, and I can't express it enough. And I do want to make sure you check out bitcoinandtheamericandream.com. Check that out and pick yourself up a copy. It's about an hour read, and you'll know so much more about Bitcoin after that one hour, because Bitcoin is going to change the world. It's as simple as that. And you can join the bandwagon and get ahead of the curve, or you can get on the bandwagon after the wagon's left. So thanks for joining us. I hope to see you next week on the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Thank you.